You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Welcome to Quantum Leap Book Club. During the next hour, beloved mind scientist Parisha and her guests from around the world will read and discuss various best-selling books with well-known authors. Every show will apply retention techniques designed to help you to absorb powerful knowledge to effectively change your life. Join us every week for a thought-provoking hour and re-listen as often as you can. You will be delighted by what you learn and you will be excited by the results. Are you ready to take the quantum leap? Here's Parisha. This is Quantum Leap Book Club. Our regular host, Parisha, will not be joining us tonight as she's traveling and teaching. So her co-hosts will cover tonight's material. We have Geraldine Dalby-Bowl from Sydney, Australia. She's an environmental biologist. Trina Cooper, lifelong entrepreneur from Denver, Colorado. Dr. Joyce Mullenhauer, Doctor of Naturopathy in Kingman, Arizona. Myself, Marianne Love from Melbourne, Australia, and Maria Jackis, a licensed psychologist from Miami, Florida. Now, our book this week is by Fred Allen Wolf, and it's Matter into Feeling, a New Alchemy of Science and Spirit. And we'll be covering, we're in chapter one, two, uh, we're in chapter one, actually. And we're covering pages one to 31 tonight. And so we'll be broadcasting through the Law of Attraction radio network. So let's begin. I don't know if any of you have looked at this book before, but it is fairly out of the box and very, very interesting. And Fred Allen Wolf has an amazing way to see the world and shed new light on in uh, existing or old concepts or new concepts. Like it really is worth getting the book and picking up and reading it. I think you need to almost read it and read read over and over and over it because um, in each paragraph, it's not a big book, but within each paragraph is some deep principle or, you know, um, science that you really want to get your head around. So Fred starts um, the book and, and a few of his books are like this. He starts them with Hebrew sim, uh, symbols. So I want to share with you how he started this book. He calls it, he said, Alf to Yod. And I'll read to you what he said. The book of Genesis represents the timeless metaphorical batter, battle of matter with spirit. The continuing story of man acting against God. This story resonates through a number of biblical scenarios, including Adam and Eve's willful ignoring of God in the Garden of Eden, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, and God's refusing Moses' entry into the new world. The Hebrew alphabet provides letters, symbols of this war of matter with spirit, Alf representing unembodied spirit and Yod representing spirit contained and limited in matter that in its pride fights against the very thing that's brought it into reality. And this, and thus the transformation of Alf to Yod is symbolized by the word island, the movement to self-identity. Okay, so that's a lot to get your head around. But I think once you, once we talk about this first chapter, it's all about this movement from spirit to form and how we experience that and how Fred has conceptualized that and helped us combine that with quantum physics to get us an understanding of that experience from being an expanded spirit to being contained in the body and what that means in terms of identity. 
and experience. So we have lots of wonderful co-hosts with us today, all very excited to share um, what they've made of what they've read so far. So this week we have Geraldine Delby Ball leading the charge. Are you there? You're on mute, so you might want to pop off mute. There we go, <laughs> off mute. And uh, the key thing that Fred opens up with, and we call him Fred and he sounds really casual, and if you listen to him on anything, he comes across as Dr Quantum and he is an exciting character. And one of the key things he invites us to realise is that as humans we have the ability to feel and that is like the key message that he's got here. And along with having the ability to feel, we have the science behind it, which is the feeling when we feel, that is when we have an emotion, it moves through our body and he guides us through this book. What happens when we do that? When we feel, how does it turn into a thing? And so that's a key aspect of this book. So if you come along again for the ride, and as Marianne said, there's so much in this book because he's bringing what they call a new alchemy of science. So an alchemy is how do we bring things together? How do we peel back that curtain almost and see what's very real about how the universe works? So if you're wanting to know how when something feels it becomes a thing, what do you do with it when it becomes a thing? How do you recognise that your, your feelings are influencing your physical form and that around you, then this is really the book to have. And I've got more to add afterwards, but that's just a little bit about the introduction. And also just to cover that, Fred, even though he comes across, if you listen to him or watch him as Dr. Quantum, he comes across you know, as an almost eccentric character. However, within that, he is a PhD in um, the quantum physics and also looks more broadly than that. So you'll see references throughout this book, not only to the Hebrew symbols, but to the many um, avenues of information that Fred is bringing together for us. Great. Thank you for that. So, Joyce, what, what did you think about the, the book you were reading? Yes, there's a really interesting uh, census that I, I experienced with the preparing for what I might want to share today. The one piece that was kind of overriding in my attempt to be able to put this into some kind of framework is this gentleman is a philosopher. He's a spiritual man. He's a scientist. He's a poet. He's a creator in so many different ways. And as he writes, all of this kind of comes into his writing. And I love it. But there's moments I think, well, what's the concrete message of what I've just read? So I had to reread it. I had to look up a number of words. And he starts off uh, discussing, I don't know whether you say narcissus or narcissus, the, the Greek mythology story of the, general, of the man that was so handsome that all the women in his community fell madly in love with him and were wanting his attention so badly. And, and he just totally was not interested in any of them. And along came this young lady who had the name of Echo because she had been doomed to not be able to speak 
except when she was repeating somebody else's words. So Narcissus found himself lost in the forest, away from his friends. And so along came Echo, he's thinking, oh, I can finally connect with this man that I'm madly in love with. And she kept calling out, here, here, because that's what he was saying. And he ignored her. So the moral of the story was, he was punished by nemesis, and that word has carried on in our English language, and spent the rest of his life at the edge of the river, staring at his beautiful image and totally pined away and had no life. So the moral of the story is, it's relating to the fact that we, as human beings, get lost in our bodies. And we think that that's exactly who we are. We get trapped. And the spirit of us is, is restless because the spirit still exists there. So he goes into quite an interesting um, demonstration in these first few pages of the outcome of that. So I want to come back to that. But that's just my introduction of how these pages definitely impacted me. Great. Thanks for that, Joyce. And it might be worth just a little reminder, like to share what page you're on, because when readers are following, they might go, I'd really love to know where you're reading from. What what page was that person from? Um, so Maria, I understand you're covering pages 15 to 21. Yes. And the section that I'm covering is called the quantum physical model model of the ego. And kind of like Joyce was alluding to, for me, it was really fascinating because my, my, my background is psychology. And of course, I was trained many, many years ago, which, um, you know, the, you know, and Freud was kind of, um, you know, the main character in, in terms of psychology and, and, and some of the, um, uh, teachings. And, um, what's fascinating about, uh, Fred Allen Wolf is that, He's a physicist, and he and 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 you can also get a flavor from the book that he's also a very spiritual, deep, deep man. And so for me, it was really fascinating because he's taking the concept of the ego to a totally new, different level that you know is is really just amazing to see how he kind of. Uh, develops this whole concept and and he and I'm sure that the section that I'm covering is only the beginning but what he said is that we need to recognize that the ego is dynamic not like Freud thought that it was a thing and it changes depending on the feelings that a person has and he begins to introduce us here to the concept of the ego from a quantum physics model which deals really what basically what this is telling us is we, we're dealing with the imaginal forms that represent physical possibilities in the real world. Now that was really different for me because when you think when you when you're traditionally trained in the ego, this is the imaginal realm is not discussed. So this model then represents mental forms that represent psychological possibilities. Now that's really important to understand and keep in mind as we go through this book. Because that those possibilities that we may feel when our egos are involved in any life transaction that may be that we may be experiencing is really important. Now he begins to take us on a journey here in this section of discussing how 
feelings and sensations are not the same thing. So a sensation would be that you feel a prick on your skin and obviously that'll send a signal to the brain and you feel a sense of discomfort. So sensations include anything from vibration, heat, cold, uh, taste, smell, sight, sound, anything having to do with the senses. But feelings, he says, on the other hand, do not necessarily always depend on the sensations. So for example, in remembering a dream, you may have the feeling of the dream, but you won't have the sensation. So he does kind of make these distinctions and goes a little bit into detail that, and you may want to read that into you know further reading. He, he also begins to, which was a really fascinating part for me is, he begins to get a little into the chemistry of feelings by saying that feelings produce electrical charges in the boundaries of the nerve cells. And these in turn cause bodily sensations. Now here he gives the example, like he gave the example of something like someone is at a funeral and, and they're experiencing a great sense of loss and then all of a sudden they'll start laughing, okay? Um, as, as a sensation that is, you know, being felt. So it's really important to keep in mind, you know, the differences that in this section he kind of makes between sensations and feelings. So he he goes on to discuss the the, the issue of the ego, and he's and we see that the ego emerges from transformations that are he makes that connection with the bodily sensations. And this is what I found fascinating because this connection is not made in traditional psychology. The ego is thought of as this abstract or concept that in the mind and Fred Allen Wolf is making the connection of the ego to the bodily sensations. So the ego doesn't exist in the brain is what he's saying, as contrary to what maybe what Freud originally thought. He's making the connections that and he and he goes into detail and expressing how even the cells and the cell membranes, they're making a change. And he expands on this concept even more by saying that every cell has an ego. And when I read that, it was like, oh my gosh, imagine what that means. You know, every cell in not only our bodies, because he's saying any living entity has an ego, animals, plants, amoebas. So he's expanding the concept of ego to go just beyond what was traditionally thought as the ego. And, and that for me was really fascinating and exciting to read about. Now he finishes this section by bringing in the, the concept of the observer effect. And we've talked about before in other books that we've covered on this program about the observer effect here. And that when we're talking about the ego, he says, it's, it's the transformations that we have to consider the effect that the observer has on it. Meaning that when we observe something, we collapse everything into that particular thing that we are observing. Then with every observation that we have, there's gonna be a complementary observation, he says. And he says that what causes these choices to be made comes from within and is constructed from the id, which you discussed earlier in the chapter, 
And then it gives rise to the ego. And to further discuss the ego would be to our next host to cover that section. So I'll leave that to our next host. Thank you, Maria. That was excellent. Very well described. Making complex. Um, very complex concepts. Very complex. You made that, you know, very user-friendly. So thank you for that. So the next phase of the book, page 21 to 28, he talks about um pretty much the illusion of the ego and how we get lost in the illusion of thought, thinking we are each thought. So we get lost in the experience of pretty much our feelings and our sensations, intuitions and thoughts. And he refers to that as Maya's game and Maya being the um, meaning of cosmic illusion. So, um, and just that how we can so easily um, not to become aware that we're thinking. So, for example, when you go into a mindfulness practice, you can observe your thoughts. At that point, you've got the observer and the thoughts themselves. So at that point, we're not lost in our thinking. But very easily, we can not observe our thoughts and just become the thought, just be the thought. And so now we're lost in our thinking, and he calls that the egocentric illusion. And that really leads to a lot of people's experience of fear and control and needing to limit others. Because we believe we're separate, the ego has the experience of separation. It believes it's separate and it believes it's time limited. So therefore triggers all those survival responses. I thought what was interesting in this is he um equates the ego and the psychology to the quantum physics model and has come up with a way to describe it so I'll do my best to pass on what I've understood about how he's described it but I completely encourage you to read it for yourselves um but if you know quantum physics it looks at the smallest possible particle and when when you look at the smallest possible particle you notice that the particle is acting like a wave and when you observe it, it acts like a particle. So what he's done is had the concept of a box. And if you have a, from a quantum physics perspective, inside the box, if we have a particle, then if no one's observing it, we have a wave. Um, and so, and we don't ever know where that particle is likely to be, where the wave is likely to be. And that's the uncertainty principle. Um, he, he referred to the probability wave, which says that at the boundaries of that box, you've got 0% chance of the wave being there or the particle being there. So this doesn't make any real sense at all at the moment, but um, hopefully it will in a second. So what he's saying is with a smaller box, you have more intense energy. And with a larger box, you have more gradual energy. So a bit like playing an instrument, if you have a violin, a shorter string, it's a higher note. A longer string, it's a, a gentler, more su subtle note. You won't hear the variations of the um, music so much in a longer string than you'll hear in a violin in a shorter, more tense string. You'll hear the frequency changes more specifically. Um and so what he's basically, how he equates this to the ego is the fact that when we come into the body, we're basically now um, contracting into a smaller space. 
and he described that um, that the the experience of coming into the body, we can either become sort of almost traumatized by that, get a contraction within that experience that then gets imprinted on the nervous system, or we can have a very calm, gentle response like the bigger box in the quantum field or the smaller box in the quantum field, just depending. So he's saying that if we have, like say we're a fetus in the womb and as we're developing, we're going from a very large box that we're starting to come into the physical experience. So our boxes is, is, is getting smaller. And then you'll have an experience in the womb, like you might hear some beautiful music, your mother might be singing to you. So you have a, it's called a contraction, you have an experience, but it's a rational one. It's a, it's a pleasant experience. Um, and so that doesn't affect the nervous system in a very destructive way. But let's say you have really nasty noise and it's like a contraction. The mother's contracted, she's uncomfortable, and the fetus becomes now uncomfortable. You call that a more traumatic experience or there's a memory associated that with that that's painful. And so now that affects the, the um, contraction within the box, which is the physicality of the fetus coming into the world. And so as it's as we start to have experience, our experience gets more and more contracted because we tend to have more and more uncomfortable experiences. And so basically then equating then coming into the ego is coming into suffering. But what I thought before I finish was really interesting is the way to heal that is actually to expand that box, which means get out of fusing with thoughts and feelings and sensations and becoming aware of them. So going into a mindful space, expanding that experience, expanding the box, which we're all floating around in, then can actually serve to change the programming or the wiring. Anyway, hope I've done that justice because that was a you know tricky few pages there. Um, but now we've got Trina to share about the rest of this. Absolutely. I thought you did a pretty good job, actually. <laughs> um, there really are in the book, Matter and Fulfilling, there's actually some graphics and stuff. So you really need to go out because he does give you pictures. And if you're a visual learner, it's really good to be able to see the pictures that he has. So I'm going to cover a little bit from about page 28 to 31. And um, the idea, again, imagine the box. If the box contracts and gets smaller and just creates a smaller box that looks just like the other one, almost like a little mini me. And there's no change in the form, no change in the pitch, no change in the energy, then it's actually pleasurable. And that's what Marianne was explaining that um, it's a pleasurable experience. But if that box or that container, or that space is changes in shape, then it becomes very, what he calls irrational. So you have the, the contraction that's considered rational, which really, it deals more with the, the pleasure. And you have the one with the changes that are more painful. They're called irrational. So this irrational contraction um, brings us to pain, suffering, a, a feeling of listlessness. Um, yet at the same time, our ego 
it's almost has a primal drive to separate itself from everything else, to contract into this small little space and not be connected. Um, it even has this idea that, you know, survival of the fittest, but in surviving of the fittest, it tries to become an individual and it becomes so contracted, it's hard to create new memories. And that's the one thing that we have to understand is that this contraction helps in recording memory. Yet, if we get too tight into the memories that we have, like we've learned in so many of these other books, it's really hard to change. It's really hard to break out of that painful place. And as Marianne said, we really need to expand in order to create new memories. We need to expand that box. We need to be allowed the space. And as she said, with, with meditation, um, relaxation, learning new things, we need to be able to open up. And you hear people say that. I'm feeling so trapped. I feel like I'm in a box. Or you may say, I'm feeling so open. I'm feeling so alive. And everything is new and the experiences are wonderful. So we have to expand in order to create this pleasure, in order to open this space to learn more. And then as we learn more, we contract it into a memory, and then we can expand again to take in more. Now, um, the author actually talks about that we can even experience like rolling sensations or something as we move into these expanded spaces, which is perfectly fine. And it's good. And um, But the thing to stay really focused on is that the pleasure is in this smooth expansion where if there's spikes of tension with an irrational contraction, too much change, too much in a short period of time, not being able to fully immerse yourself in it or understand it can really become painful. You can become angry. So there's one other part in here that he calls the physics of eagle of um the body's quantum ego, the island of feeling. Um, he uses that little quote, no man is an island. However, the island formation must occur for memory to exist. So it's, we almost need to be separate in order to have memory. However, um, we really aren't alone. We're really connected all the time. So our body is nothing but a gigantic memory bank with all these cellular surfaces that are taking in the information, they're expanding and contracting with what we learn and what we know and the experiences that we have. But just like those particles in the box, if it gets too tight, if it gets too warped, we're going to feel the, the pain and the pressure where if we can keep it expanded, we can learn and it can feel real a lot of pleasure. So same way, this is how it works in the nervous system, how it works in the body. And again, he goes back and reflects on the, on the fact that the ego actually comes from the id. And you can think of the id as God or spirit, the field, whichever, whatever you want to think. But the ego comes from that place. And it chooses the states that, that it wants to observe and what it wants to remember. So again, we're walking through this where we've become an individualized self. And we operate through the, these contractions and expansions. And it's really up 
to us. It's really up to our awareness, our consciousness, our mind to make the choices on, on what we want to do. So that's kind of what I wanted to share. Very good. Well, that now opens the lines up for anybody that has some more thoughts and more ideas you'd like to share with everyone. <clears throat> yeah, let me let me start with that kind of to share to, to kind of help people of how I because uh, this is a really, really deep material when you begin to really get into it. And this whole idea, like Marianne was addressing the box and Trina was expand was was addressing the expansion and contraction. You know, from a personal experience, what I have found is in the meditations that, that we have been taught by Grandmother Parisha, by going into the blackness, if you think of it is when we're contracting and we're focusing on the body, we're thinking that we are the body. So that's kind of like the contraction. Then we're in, you know, what he was saying is, is we're in pain and suffering. And in my in my practice, personal practice of the meditations, when you're expanding and going out into that blackness or the, the field, there's this sense of expansion to where you're not identifying with the body and you're not in that limitation. So that's how I was kind of working with that whole technical concept of expansion and contraction and pain and suffering and and really you I have experienced personally when you go out into that expansion where you don't feel pain and suffering you really are in all those blissful feelings of love and peace and and everything that we want to feel and then it's coming back into that contraction that we feel the limitations but obviously the goal is to be able to bring more of that into our day-to-day -day lives Yes, and I've noticed in healing work with people using, particularly using EMDR therapy, where within that therapy, you go into a real mindful place while you bring up an old trauma. So it's like you're in the contraction, in the in the discomfort and the emotional fears and pains with the memory while you're actually in a really settled, mindful place doing what they call eye movements. And that whole process gives you this dual experience of expandedness as well as the awareness of contraction and I just noticed that that actually resolves the contraction it resolves the feelings which is what he was basically saying in the book too that once you if you're aware of a feeling just that process of being aware of a feeling no longer fused or lost in it then the feeling itself starts to change yeah absolutely and hypnosis would be another way that that addresses it. You know, hypnosis would be another one where you're in that, you know, relaxed state in alpha or delta, if you can get to that state and 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 work through those those feelings. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And they're now in, um, introducing a lot of um, drug therapy that gets yeah. people in very expanded states and finding that that's having an effect as well, the amphetamines and things. Yeah, we could go into a whole discussion about that, about all the different yeah, the whole uh, conversation. That's a whole yeah. different conversation. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, who else wanted to share? I happy to happy to add a little bit more. That's Geraldine in Sydney, Australia. And they 
mentioning that prior to this book, there is a book, there's another book uh, that Fred Allen Wolf wrote called Mind into Matter. And in a way, this book is a follow-up to that one. So while I'm not going into detail about Mind into Matter, know that it's there because if you are interested, that gives you a grounding. Same sort of formula, same use of Hebrew symbols, same nine chapters. And part of that idea with the nine chapters, which we have again this time, is to do that introduction with the Hebrew symbol, as you heard Marianne share with us at the beginning there. And what's, what's here is that we've looked at in that previous book, they've looked at like how do you think things, sense things, move them into physical being, where here it's almost that, I'm not even going to use the word dichotomy because it's not that they're two different things. It's what he says is sometimes the struggle between our physical self and our spirit self. And so this book is actually a how-to guide of moving ourselves from what could be seen as a, an island into a movement towards self-identity. So the nine chapters take us through that. And it is that pushing through of resistance. And as Marianne and Maria both mentioned there, there are different techniques that help settle that so that your mind can be in a place where it's where there's other information that it's working through without needing to fight it because he does suggest in this book that that resistance between our spirit, our soul, our purpose, whatever someone might want to say it, our old programs and our physicality is definitely there. So it reminded me of what Grandmother Parisher often says is that phrase of who's talking? Is it our body's cells? Is it an actual thing that we've consciously chosen to do? So as you journey with us through this book, through the nine chapters, through the Hebrew letters, which are now being combined to take us on a movement, the whole thing is this is a movement of that process of how we can make peace with the matter and spirit and realise that we have this self-identity that we can discover, which then lets us know we're not actually individual. So that's... Um, have a look at have a look at um, both books, Mind Into Matter, if you're interested as well. Yeah, thanks for that, Geraldine. What did you want to share, Joyce? Okay, there were a few things I'd like to just touch on. Um, first of all, one of the key things in the six pages or seven pages or whatever I was looking at at the beginning of the book, one of the things to keep in mind that's a gift of, of Dr. Wolf is that he has footnotes. And on his footnotes, he does expand ideas that he expresses within the book. So it's very, very valuable to go to the footnotes. And particularly around the nar narcissist story, he did expand that. But what I wanted to add was the whole concept of complementarity, that I, I have researched that a lot on the internet, trying to myself get a full grasp of what this means. Because in theory, what this concept is that two things com combine together, make a whole. Well, in quantum physics, what they're, they're actually like on the opposing sides of the medicine wheel. For anyone who has studied the medicine wheel, you're in a position on the medicine wheel. And what is exactly across the medicine wheel to you is the opposite. So complementarity is talking about contrasts, but the contrasts 
at one point in his story and in his information he says you can one thing can appear to be true and it might not be and another thing on the same topic can appear to be true and it might not be so i i believe in my own head what he's getting at is we tend to want things in stone and he does comment that scientists because they want things to be rational and to be simple they have separated over time spirituality and science they see these as two separate things well dr wolf is pulling them together to re recognize that okay there is some complementarity concept as part of it they are there's some opposition some of it feels contradictory and as he as dr wolf says there's even paradoxical feeling about it when you get try and take your mind through it because a particle and a wave can't exist at the same time in quantum physics the wave is there and then when it is brought into a particle then we have something more specific uh objective versus spiritual is what the scientists have kind of separated those two things and I, I had to have a chuckle because I was really struggling trying to get a concept in this. And the old song of love and marriage goes together like a horse and carriage. That song came to me and I, I looked at the words and thought, well, they are talking kind of about two opposite things, or at least they're contrasting. And does a horse have any use? If it's a horse that's supposed to be pulling a carriage, he's he's a definite part of that unit but he's separate from the carriage so that helped me just get a little bit more of a feeling of what this was and I do encourage people to go to those footnotes because if something doesn't make quite sense to you as you're reading it when he expands on it it works better and then also going on the internet helps a lot right thank you Joyce Trina Yes, what what I'm liking about this book, because we've you hear the you hear the idea a lot where people go um, body mind spirit, and I always kept saying we're leaving out an important piece in this. We're leaving out the emotion and we're leaving out the feelings. And as we've been moving through these books, we've realized that the feelings. Um, that piece of us being physical, the emotion, is is something that's in, is really important as a physical body because it talks to us all the time. And um, this particular book really talks about that. And I think Geraldine may have brought that up too. Is the fact that as we come into matter, we have feelings. We have sensations, we have emotions, and they drive us, they drive our thoughts. And in this, we go on this journey of what is it like moving completely out of formless spirit into having a body and having these sensations and these feelings and what happens. And again, our natural instinct in this is to identify as a self, as a separated individual. And we're always exploring that. 
But the more we move into that, as Dr. Wolf explained, the more we kind of contract and the more it can become painful for us because we've actually moving away from the connection that um, we truly want. Yet our primal drive in a physical body wants us to pull away and be separate. So I, I found when I was reading this, I felt like I was breathing, like contracting and opening up again and contracting and opening up again. And it was, it was an interesting sense. So I closed my eyes and imagined just contracting and tightening up and how that felt. And then kind of breathing in and expanding and how that felt, the difference in those two things. And when we're open like that, we can learn, we can grow. But when we're contracted and we're in that little box and we don't want to hear anything else, it's very difficult to expand and grow. So those were just a couple of things that came up for me while I was reading this chapter. And I'm just finding this book fascinating because even though it's been on my shelf for quite a while, it has been shelf knowledge, not self-knowledge. So now I'm taking it in. <laughs> yeah, good one. And I think um, just it's interesting how he talks about the feelings and different from sensation and how we can be at peace with our feelings or not based on our thinking. And it's it's important to think about because he, he gives a really good example of two people having sex, right? And so if you're just in the experience and it feels good, I mean, you're just in the experience, you're not even thinking about interpreting the experience, you're just in the experience of the sensation, then you can have an awesome, an awesome time. But if you start to then think about the experience like, I wish my partner would do this or doesn't quite feel like that. Now you're in this in sensation as well as the feeling and the feeling may not be as good. It might be conflicted with the sensation. So it, it, it um, brings to light how complicated we can make life by buying into our thoughts and by not observing and questioning our thoughts, by letting them run and just get lost in that illusion of thought and sensation and thinking that's all one and the same and then it's out of our control. It's just there. It's just what we think. It's just how we feel. It's just who we are. All of that, so not true when you actually look at it's just a thought. And a thought, when it's in conflict with, with sensation, becomes uncomfortable. But when it's in when it's complementary to sensation, then it's a good, pleasurable experience. So we're riding that wave with everything that we do. Jump in, Joyce, what would you like to say? Sure. Uh, just to build on with what Trina has shared about the sensation of contracting and expanding and what you've just spoken of with on thoughts, I was happy to see that Dr. Wolf very clearly shared what we do um, understand from many other books that we've studied, that with negative worry thoughts, that's when the contraction happens. And with the complementarity concept, that's the opposing side to positive thinking. And so Dr. Wolf does make the statement of go with as much good mental habits as you possibly can with positive thoughts. 
And then that contraction expansion becomes mostly expansion and life is very different. So he, at moments he talks in pretty normal language if anybody is feeling like this is all <laughs> kind of complicating. He, he does throw in some pretty straight comments. It's such a relief when he does that. When he brings it back to something, you can go, oh, yes, I totally understand. I could think positive thoughts and feel better. I can do that. We can all do that. <laughs> and you see the intention behind his writing. Like he's, he, he's really trying to help people feel better in life and understand themselves as human, these big expanded spirits having a human experience, having a body experience. Yeah, I can I can add to something that Joyce brought up that this whole concept of complementarity that from a practical sense of how we can begin to apply it. And you know, Joyce, you beautifully brought up the whole idea of the opposites. And he talks about, you know, that in terms of, you know, opposite feelings. And you brought up the concept of how Grandmother Parisha has taught us to look at the on the medicine wheel, you know, the opposite. Uh, sitting on the opposite end of the medicine wheel. And I think from a practical sense, you know, for that we can apply what he's talking about here in terms of feelings and, and sensations is that, for example, if you're going through a very difficult time in your life, if you have an event that is very difficult in your life and you apply this perspective of complementary or just looking at a circle, which is a med the medicine wheel, and you have this negative emotion, which would be contracting. And you just think that on the opposite end has to exist, which would be the, then has to exist the opposite, which would be the positive feeling, uh, you know, uh, a feeling happy, which then become you bring into that, then the observer it depends on what you observe on. Okay that becomes a very practical tool to begin to work with our feelings and emotions, our sensations when we're in the physical body, like we've been talking about, to be able to have a choice of what you focus on is that, you know, and grandmother has always said to us, you can't have love if you don't have hate. You can't have night if you don't have day, uh, you know, the opposites. You know, so I think that Fred Allen Wolf is when he talks about, you know, the whole concept of complementarity. This is what he's talking about. That was a wonderful example, Joyce. Thank you. Yeah, it certainly brings peace to the human experience, thinking that we do live in a field of opposites and that we're navigating them. It makes it less personal that it's my experience. It's actually the human experience. We're all actually experiencing fundamentally the same thing did anyone else have something you wanted to share this is trina there was another little piece that he talked about in order to make things more pleasurable and he talked about the memories um that if there's pleasurable memories and you're dealing with a, a task or something like he gave the example of music music is something that makes you feel good um, to put the music on and listen to it and have it in the background while you're working on something because it will help you open and expand and be able to take in more data and more information 
And there's probably something that he said when he's writing, if he gets stuck, he likes to watch old movies um, because they bring to him this sense of nostalgia or feelings that he had of a good time, a better time or something like that. So that was an interesting like little real life tip that he gave us to actually move to the other perspective that find something that you really um, enjoy or love or whatever and have it there to help you expand so that you can experience things greater and you can get yourself out of the little box you've locked yourself into. So that was a great, that was on page 28. And I just thought that was a great little tip that he used. Absolutely. Give it a go, Geraldine, again. I think Trina covered some of it then, which was terrific. And it was that um, concept of whatever we are feeling, because we've come from a formless state into form, into the physical form. And along with that, we've come into feeling. So the feeling is intrinsic to the human part. So it's definitely a good thing, all good things, feeling up, feeling down, all the rest. He gives an observance, though. He says, knowing that what were you before you became the physical thing were you were you the egg in your mother were you the sperm in your father were you the were you part of what your grandparents were or before that before that before that and it becomes a point where one viewpoint of that is you were a formless thing that now has form and in that perspective, at any time, you can go back to the formless thing. So if you're very deep in a feeling, very deep in the human experience, you can see yourself from what Grandmother Parish has shared as well as your observer self, your original self. And from that perspective, you can say, oh, I'm having a feeling and apply some curiosity to that. And that as well, you can ask what, you know, what is, what is behind this? Or as Grandmother's shared as well, what is, what is the matter? What is the physicality that's coming from this? So that's another part that works well in this book where we're moving from a formless spirit into a body which intrinsically has feelings. Yes, and it makes sense that he's equating it with quantum physics, isn't it? Because you take from the field of information, downward causation into third dimension and matter. So we are the representation, we are that also. So we're a field. Grandmother says we are the field. So we are a field of information having an experience in the physicality. So we're still a field of information. We're still all of it, but potentially have lost our identity just within the sensations in the physical rather than uh, our awareness of the total. We lost we lost ourselves in the body. Where did we go? Can we find ourselves? And I, I just quickly adding to that, I guess finding ourselves is, as you say, when we get lost in the body or lost in the feelings or sensations, often upon reflection, that is our greatest moments of having aha moments. And ideally, this precious human form is an opportunity to have aha moments and grow in our consciousness, in our beingness as we do that. 100%. How would we know who we were if we didn't experience the field of opposites? If we were just love, how would we know fear or any other emotion? And then how would love know itself 
if it didn't have its opposite? Well, kind of to dovetail on what Geraldine was saying about these aha moments, I kind of had an experience of that as I was reading and preparing my section. Because, you know, when you think of it, it's we're all, we ourselves, it's we are all information. Everything is information. And if you think about it, everything is resonating information from everywhere, from the field. We are the field. But the aha moment that I got was when he was talking about, you know, the ego and, you know, we're trained to think of the ego as something totally different. And when he said that every cell has an ego, that was a real aha moment for me because it means not just, and then he just took when he took it outside of, you know, everything outside. And I said, okay, but we're full of cells. Our bodies are full of cells. And if he's saying every cell has an ego, imagine what that means. That for me was like a real aha moment. That's like, wow, that's a lot of information resonating in my body, which was really actually an amazing conclusion in my mind. Yes, and it shows the importance of talking to every cell of your body, like being the loving parent of every cell of the body because yes too bad that i mean we should really change our whole curriculum in our school systems to begin to address some of these concepts i mean imagine what kind of individuals and beings we could educate if we were bringing this kind of material this kind of consciousness to children in our school system and teaching them to be totally different and I think a lot of it they kind of intuitively know when they're born it sort of gets trained out of them because <laughs> they're told something different from what they deeply experience which I think causes a conflict and causes a lack of trust within themselves like causes a trauma okay well it's time to conclude our studies we thank you for sharing your time and energy with us you matter and count you always make a difference. We look forward to being to you being with us next week as we make that leap to greater consciousness. Have a powerful week and allow your light to shine and always all good things to you. OCO. Thank you for listening to Quantum Leap Book Club. For more information where you can contact us, go to LOARadioNetwork.com forward slash quantum hyphen leap. Have a great week.